you could keep me right at this level because you guys are going to think I'm yelling at you, but I'm not. I'm just passionate, and um, I just like to preach and share the Word of God. So um, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. You know, I was thinking as we were worshiping and Matt led us through communion, I just thought to myself, man, can we just drop the mic and, and end right here, you know? Because it was such a sweet set of worship, and, and Matt, the way he led us to the table and through communion, I just felt like, oh no, I'm, I'm revitalized. I can just go home now, you know? Um, full of courage, full of strength, full of boldness. But then I was reminded of this very incredible, life-giving passage to me out of Colossians 1, and I just want to read it over you guys before we even dig into the, uh, what I have for you today. And um, can I just read this over us? Yes. You okay with that? Yes. Good. Colossians 1, I mean, for those of us who have been walking in the faith for a long time, um, this is just kind of a passage that, that we've held on to um, for many, many years. Sorry, not Colossians 1, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. And it says this, and, and this is just for us as, as believers. And let me just read this over you and let this kind of just resonate in you and let this resound in your heart and let this sweep over you this morning. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And here it is, verse three, for you died and your life is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and just let that be your security. Let that be your, your assurance of salvation today is that your life is hidden in Christ with God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's dig into the word. Is that good? Okay. Like Matt said, my name is Kevin. Um, I've known Rick and Kath for about 20 years. Um, so with that being said, this church... I've carried it in my heart for a long, long time. Um, I got saved into a church that was part of NCMI, New Covenant Ministries, that maybe some of you guys are familiar with, and that's how I've known Rick and Kath for so long. I've known Matt for a long time as well, and um, I just want you to know that I am so grateful, like Philippians 1 says, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, that we are partners in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel, and even though you're just meeting me for the first time today, I've carried you in my heart for a long time. And I'm glad, uh, just so honored and privileged to be here to share the word of God with you as a partner, a true partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in 2015, I'm going to do a little bit of giving you a little bit of background of who I am, my story. Um, and I like to preach through my life. I like to put myself into the word of God and preach through the word of God, but through my life through the word of God. So you're going to get to learn a little bit about who I am today and how this word has shaped and fashioned and formed me into the man I am today. But uh, in 2015, I had the privilege of planting a church in a little city called Whittier, California. Anyone familiar with it? Yeah, in Los Angeles. I know you are. My wife is familiar with it. We planted that in October of 2015 at a little community center in a park called Parnell Park. And we launched with 42 people. And uh, Whittier is a city right next to La Mirada. And in La Mirada is a college called Biola. Anyone heard of Biola? Yeah. A few of you heard of Biola, yeah. So 
as we launched, we launched this multi-generational church full of college students, but also mature believers as well. And so we, we planted this church 2015, college students, mature believers, and then people who started graduating and having young families started to join the church. And it was just a vibrant, thriving church. And so for six years, I really tried to establish this church. We, we really put focus on worship, uh, the preaching of the word, creating family, uh, raising up leaders and all those different things. I mean, it was booming. We were bursting at the seams. We eventually got to the point where we were meeting in one kind of conference room and we had to break down the dividing wall of hostility and meet in both rooms. Uh, we were just outgrowing this place. It was going gangbusters at uh, Southlands Whittier. And we've got to the point where we're like, oh man, what are we gonna do? We have to go to a second service or uh, find another building or something like that. Now, please hear me. I'm not boasting because I'm gonna get to some bad news here in a minute. So we were a thriving, multi-generational, vibrant young church. Fast forward to March of 2020, COVID. COVID hit us. We were meeting in LA County. We were, rented, we were meeting in a rented facility. LA County, with rented, uh, meeting in a rented facility in LA County means they immediately shut down. They closed our building. To be honest with you, to this day, we still can't get back into that building. Two years later, we lost our meeting location. So what happened to us? We were a scattered people. We were a people who were dispersed throughout the Southlands. Because we had, didn't have a location uh, there were people who were very cautious because of COVID. The students who were part of our church, uh, many of them were from out of state, so they just went home. Um, we felt like we were in no man's land. Uh, we felt very nomadic. We had no place to go. We had no gathering spot. And as I walked in here today and Matt told me, you guys have been meeting here for seven years, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you had a place like this where you could come as the gathered saints to worship our living God together. And we weren't that. We didn't have that place. Uh, obviously, with the political tension and, and, and the cultural tensions that were going on in the world, people just began to drift. People began to drift. And so we lost around 70% of our church. We lost 26 leaders. We lost over 20 mu musicians who had just scattered and dispersed. Um, some started to deconstruct. Some started to deconvert. Lots of ha things happened. The end of uh, last year, we had to shut down. We closed our church. And that's why I'm actually even humbled to be here today. Uh, I, I don't lead a church. <laughs> I am on a pastoral team, but I feel humbled that Matt and Shan had me come here to share the word of God with you today. Um, it's been a very, very difficult time for my wife and I. We poured our lives out for these people for six years to these people, but God had a plan. God had a plan, and that's why I think it was part of his providential, sovereign plan for us to be here today. And so I got to the end of last year, and uh, you guys okay? Is this, is this story okay for you? Now, there's going to be good news here in a minute. It comes from the Word of God. But I just sat, and I had to reflect for a minute. I'm like, okay, well, what caused the people to disperse? Why did people deconstruct? Why did people deconvert? And I started to blame myself. And I asked myself, well, what kind of disciple was I producing? What kind of disciple did I, did I produce? And I came to the conclusion 
that I hadn't created the type of disciples who were able to withstand tension and pressure from the various trials that we faced. And we know we're going to dive into 1 Peter here in a second, which is just the passage that the church has held on to for thousands of years. We're going to continue to hold on to it today. But I came to the conclusion that I didn't create the kind of disciples who had a full kingdom perspective, the kind of disciples who had an eternal mindset, uh, the ones who actually truly believe that this earth is just our temporary home, that we're citizens of something else. We're citizens of heaven. And I think if we would have had that eternal mindset, if we would have had the perspective that we're citizens from heaven, I don't think I'd be standing here today telling you that my church was shut down. I think it would have formed us and fashioned us. I think it would have helped us to persevere through the various trials of life. And I came to another conclusion, and that was just recently, maybe a month ago, is that it's not going to get easier. <laughs> Listen, my friends, what we experienced in the last two years, I believe, and this may just be a prophetic kind of whatever, not encouragement, I don't think it's an encouragement, <laughs> a prophetic truth is that it's not going to get easier. It's going to continue to happen, and we're going to continue to go through various trials. I mean, just turn on the news today. Russia's invading, invading the Ukraine. It's not going to get easier, my friends. It's going to get more difficult. So then we have to ask the questions, what kind of disciples are we? How can I come and encourage you and exhort you to be the type of the disciples that can stand firm through various trials, stand firm through the fire? Amen? And so that's what I'm going to do today, and I hope that's okay with you. How do we persevere in the faith? As citizens of heaven, and remember that this earth is just our temporary home. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open up to 1 Peter. And I know that Matt just preached through 1 Peter here. So I just want to ask, I want to plead with you. I want to implore you to, to actually just keep your ears open today. Just, you know, you've heard this before, but, but let this be a fresh exhortation for you guys. Um, even though you just went through 1 Peter about eight months ago or so, um, I hope that you, you, you listen today with fresh ears, just knowing that the word of God is living and active. It's still, it's still living and active in our life right now. And even though Matt preached it eight months ago, he could still transform us today. The word of God can still transform us. Amen? Amen? All right, 1 Peter 1. I'm reading from a version called CSB. You guys probably read from the ESV here. So you can follow along with me on the screen, and let's just dive in. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen, chosen, not chosen, that's not even a word, chosen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse three. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Rejoice in that, my friends. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even, now, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, faith, 
Matt, you are rubbing off on me. More valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So obviously what we're reading here is a letter written by Peter, and you guys probably know the history behind the letter, but I'm just going to remind us again, this is the Peter that I think we all kind of love in the Gospels, right? We can all kind of relate to this guy. It's the Peter that maybe as we read the Gospels, we, we laughed at him. Like, Peter, what are you thinking, you knucklehead? Uh, this is the Peter that we got frustrated with as he denied Jesus. This is the Peter that we rejoiced with when, when Jesus finally restored him and reinstated him. This is the Peter that we found courage through as he stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 people got saved, right? This is the Peter that wrote this letter. This is the same Peter, like I said, that we can relate to. Why? Because he looks a lot like us. Read the Gospels and look at yourself through Peter's eyes. And you'd be like, wow, that guy looks a lot like me, or I look a lot like Peter. I can personally relate to him myself because in Acts 4.13, it's talking about Peter, and it says this, that he's just a common, ordinary, uneducated man. But it says this about Peter in Acts. Not only is he a common, or a common ordinary, uneducated man, it says this, that they could tell he had been with Jesus. I'm uneducated. I got saved at the age of 30. I didn't go to college. I barely graduated high school. I don't even know how I graduated high school. But I stand here today as a common, ordinary, uneducated man. But I want to tell you this. I've been with Jesus for 20 years. I've been with Jesus for 20 years. And that's the type of Peter who wrote this letter. That's the type of Peter that is telling the dispersed to stand firm through various trials. It's this type of Peter who's been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Because if so, you can stand through these fiery trials. See, don't get me wrong. Education is great. It is incredibly beneficial. But it's not as good as being with Jesus. <laughs> Being with Jesus is better. Never underestimate spending uninterrupted time with Jesus. And finally, this is Peter, who is the apostle of Jesus Christ, who played a key role in establishing the church as we know it today. But who is Peter writing this letter to? Who is Peter writing this letter to? Verse 1 through 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen. He's writing it to the chosen, to the elect living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Peter, while he was staying in Rome, this is probably about AD 65, as he's writing this letter to the Christians, he's writing the letter to those who were chosen, to those who were sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and those who were saved by the blood of Christ. The chosen, the sanctified, and the saved. That's who he's writing to. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to us as well. He's writing to the Christians who had been scattered all over the region, all over the Roman Empire um, that was known as Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today, just to kind of put it into perspective for you. They were exiles. They were strangers in a foreign land. They were pilgrims. They were 
resident aliens. And that's who he's addressing this letter to. It's important to understand why they were scattered as well. They were scattered because of persecution, right? The, the uh, Roman emperor Nero was persecuting Christians at that time. And it says approximately 15 times just in First Peter that they were facing suffering and they were scattered because of persecution. But Peter wasn't writing to them only about the current scattering and persecution that they were facing. He is writing to them about a future persecution that the church will also face. These last two years, persecution, we will continue to face trials. And that's who Peter is addressing, a church that will continue to face persecution. These guys felt like strangers. They just felt out of place. Why? Because they were citizens of heaven. They were citizens of heaven. And for us as believers of Jesus Christ, oftentimes we feel like strangers, don't we? I know I do. I mean, I know there's times I walk around this earth and I'm like, man, do I stick out like a sore thumb or what? And it's not because of my tattoos and my beard. Why? It's because I have the living God dwelling within me. I look different than this world. At least I hope I, sh I do. I look different than this world. And I hope you guys do as well. Have you ever felt like you don't belong or you just don't fit in? Yeah? I, um, I, I grew up in a city called Long Beach. Anyone familiar with that? <laughs> Snoop Dogg, you know, the halftime show, all that stuff. Um, I grew up in Long Beach. Uh, I was friends with a band called Sublime. Anyone know that band? Yes, okay. They were my friends. They used to play at our high school parties. It was just crazy. Uh, when I got saved and I decided to join the pastoral team in a church called uh, Southlands in Brea, I moved from L.A., blue-collar, rough L.A. county in Long Beach, to Orange County. I, you want to talk about sticking out like a sore thumb? I did not belong there. I just felt so out of place. I felt so out of place. I felt like every time I walked down the street, I was judged. It's very affluent there. Um, <laughs> I still don't have a lot of money, never have, probably never will, not being in pastoral ministry, but I just felt like, man, I stick out like a sore thumb. I just do not belong here. I do not fit in. And it was obvious. It was glaring. It was shining upon me that I did not fit in to Orange County. But I also feel as a Christian that I don't fit in because I feel like the world is against us. Do you feel like that? That the world is against us sometimes? And so for us, we feel like that. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. This isn't our final destination. This isn't in our home. This is our temporary home. And I want, to, I want to settle that into your hearts today because I feel like if I would have discipled my people to understand that this is only our temporary home, that we have an eternal home that's waiting for us, I feel like we could have persevered through COVID. And so whatever trial continues to come our way, Keep your minds fixed on an eternal home. You're citizens of heaven. This is just temporary. This is our temporary home. And so what, we, what can we learn from this passage today? We doing okay? Number one, that we have a living hope. Number one, we have a living hope. Isn't that good news? <laughs> yeah. Not a hope that is dead. Not a hope that is buried in the tomb. No, Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. He's alive and well, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even now. We have a living hope and a living God who will return for his living church one day. That's the hope that we have. 
And I remember growing up, I don't know about you guys, but have you put your hope in other things? I mean, listen, we're all human. Please just nod your head, yes. Am I the only one that's put my hope in other things? It's funny, growing up, I was like, oh, I know I'm gonna be a professional baseball player or a professional football player. So I put my hope in being a professional football player, a professional baseball player. How do you think that worked out for me? Listen, I'm standing here today, today preaching to you. That didn't work out too well. I was, I was average at best at both of those sports. Well, why did I put my hope in that? It was a false hope. As a young man, I put my hope in being a firefighter because everyone in my family were firefighters, right? I'm like, I'm gonna be a firefighter. I was afraid of heights. I mean, how do you think that worked out for me? Here I am preaching the gospel to you. Didn't work out too well. Even as a young man, uh, I, I was like, I had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit within me and I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to invent something or you know, start some business or whatever and not have to work a day in my life, right? I don't know if any of you have thought that. Uh, I, I thought I was gonna be the next Elon Musk or whatever, a billionaire, and I could just travel the world without having to work. How do you think that worked out for me? <laughs> I put my hope in all these silly things. And this is just kind of a silly example of things that I put my hope in as a kid. Now, obviously those are silly hopes and they didn't work out, but I did put my hope in things that have worked out. I put my hope in marrying a beautiful wife, incredible, amazing wife, and she sits here with me today. I put my hope in having a family. I have four beautiful kids. Believe it or not, I have a 27-year-old. I know I only look 28, but I have a 27-year-old. I have a 27-year-old daughter, a 24-year-old daughter, 17-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy. I put my hope in having a family, and God kind of blessed me and blessed me in that hope. I put my hope in living past 21. Honestly, guys, if you would know my story, I don't have time to tell it to you today. I really didn't think I was going to get to the age of 21. I thought I would die before then. And it was spoken over me that I'd either be dead or in jail by the time I was 18 years old. That was spoken over me as a kid. I made it past 21. I put my hope in making it past 21, and I did. And now that I've been born again, now that I've been chosen by God, now that my heart's been regenerated, my dead heart turned to life, now that I've been saved by grace and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ through the repenting of my sins and putting my faith in him, many other hopes have been fulfilled in my life. The hope of having a father. I grew up fatherless. My mom never remarried, never had a male figure in my life. I had the hope of having a father that I've always longed for and that has been fulfilled the hope of assurance, the hope of security. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, my hope continues as a living hope. It's a living hope. Jesus Christ has conquered death and sin and sits victorious on the throne at the right hand of the Father. He's alive and well. He's gonna return for his church one day. And because of that, my hope is alive. Is your hope alive? I continue to have the hope of a future. I continue to have the hope of an inheritance. I continue to have the hope of eternal life. Man, what a glorious living hope that is. And because of that, even though there may be times where we feel like we don't belong or we feel like we're scattered or whatever it is, I want to remind you that you have a living hope that you can hold onto, cling onto the rock of ages. Cling on to him, a living hope. See, Peter reminded them of Jesus Christ who was exiled from his home. 
he voluntarily left his home, voluntarily left his home in heaven. He was also persecuted just like them. He was persecuted, but he resurrected and conquered death. And so he's explaining to them there's this living hope in Jesus Christ. Hold on to him. Not only did Jesus conquer death and sin, but he then returned home. <laughs> he returned home. And that's our hope as well. We will return home one day. They had an inheritance waiting for them, an inheritance that is un imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that's the same inheritance we have in Christ ourselves. You ever been to a foreign land and just hope to be home? <laughs> you ever been there? Yeah? Uh, three years ago, before COVID, um, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, everything is pre-COVID or during COVID, right? It's like, that's how we've separated our lives now. But 2019, my wife and I went on a ministry trip, and it was 21 days. We went and ministered in Dubai and South Africa. And uh, I would say about 15, 16 days in, we just had a longing to be home. Uh, we were there by ourselves. Our, all of our kids were home. Um, Matt's going to hate me for this, but I'm a dog person. We're dog people. And, um, and, and we just missed our dogs, and you know, they missed us and all those different things. But we just had this longing to be home. We just had this longing to be home. We were homesick. 21 days is a long time on a ministry trip in a foreign land. Our, I, I did say that. Oh, oh. Is this being recorded? Yeah. Sorry, kids. We missed you dearly. We miss you now. We can't wait to get home today. <laughs> thanks, 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 thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, but honestly, we felt homesick. We just felt homesick. But you know what the remedy is for a homesick soul? It's putting your trust in Jesus Christ, the resurrected King. That's the remedy for a homesick soul. Even us going back to our home, it's not the same as what we put our hope in because we're citizens of a different kingdom. The remedy for a homesick soul is putting your home in the resurrected Christ having a living hope in a living Savior. Okay, number two, we have a secure faith. Number one, we have a living hope. Number two, we have a secure faith. How can we persevere in times of trials? How can we continue to persevere when trials come? It's because we have a secure faith. Verse five through eight, you're being guarded by God's power through what? Through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of what? Your faith. Thank you, Kevin. Me and you, man, you got such an incredible name. More valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. We haven't seen him, but we love him. Peter was one of the disciples that spent the most time with Jesus. He was in the inner circle. He was the one that lived with Jesus for three years. He ate with Jesus. He prayed with Jesus, even though he fell asleep sometimes, but he still prayed with Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw Jesus walk on water. He watched Jesus be tried and crucified. He watched Jesus give his final breath. He watched Jesus be buried in a tomb and he spent time with the resurrected Christ. This is the Peter that wrote this letter. 
Peter had seen Jesus and been with Jesus. So of course he believed in him. But what about the, those who hadn't seen Jesus? What about those like us who haven't seen him? Have you thought about that? For those of us who are scattered and persecuted, though we've never seen Jesus, we've never touched his nail-scarred hands and feet. But the disciple Thomas did. And Jesus says this about the disciple Thomas in John 20. He says, you have seen and now touched me, and it's easy for you to believe. You've seen me. You've touched my nail-scarred hands. You've touched, touched my nail-scarred feet. It's easy for you to believe me. But blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. But blessed are those who have not seen yet still believed. Where's your faith? Persecution, suffering, facing various trials. It could have caused them and it could have caused us or it could cause us to lose faith in Jesus because we've never seen him, right? But Peter reassures them that since they have been chosen by God, it's by the power of God. Listen to me. It's by the power of God that they are being guarded through their faith in Jesus. Your faith is being, uh, is being guarded by the power of God. That's a secure faith, my friends. It's being guarded by the power of God. What more could we ask for? So Peter says this, that the purpose of these trials was to do what? It was to prove the genuineness of their faith. David Helm, who is one of the commentaries I read as I prepared this message, he says this on this passage. It says, trials come for testing. And testing, like putting gold into the fire, is meant to prove the genuineness of one's faith. To put it differently, trials are the proving ground for our faith. What we went through last year was the proving ground for our faith. Others in church history understood this as well. It is to John Rippon, the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London prior to Charles Spurgeon, that we owe the famous verse, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Beautiful, isn't it? See, going through various trials like we went through last year or which we'll face again in the future, it's a refining process for us to test the genuineness of our faith. And when gold, as you guys know, I'm sure Matt preached on this, but when gold is refined, it goes through this intense heat. I don't know if you know this. It melts the gold. And as the gold melts, what happens? Impurities rise to the top. And what they do is they take these impurities, they take this dross, and they skim it off. And the result of the skimming off of the impurities and dross is pure, genuine gold. That's what Peter's talking about. A pure, genuine faith. Pure as gold. We have that kind of secure faith. So it is with us facing trials. It's God who gives us the trials. Do you believe that? Actually, the trials that we faced, <laughs> I believe in a sovereign God. 
He wasn't surprised by the trials we just faced two years ago or the trials that we will face, right? I actually believe he ordains those. Why? To prove the genuineness of our faith. Now, may, I may be super reformed or whatever you want to call me, but that's what I believe. I believe he's testing. He'll never tempt us, but he'll test us to prove the genuineness of our faith. He wants to remove the impurities from this world. That's what he wants to do. This world just makes us impure. He puts us through trials to remove that. Why? So we can fully trust on him. Fully put our faith in him. Our faith can be secure in him. Our faith is made genuine. Our faith in God is more precious than, listen to this, our faith in God is more precious than gold. (laughs) Gold's expensive right now. Like I have some, I should sell some. But our faith is more precious than gold. Where's your faith this morning? Peter is saying this, if you face trials, if you face tribulation, if you face suffering, if you face difficult times, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Why? Testing your faith. Your faith has eternal value. Finally, Our faith will be tested by fire and various trials. You guys have 10 minutes left in you? Okay. Am I going to go too long here? All right. Our faith will be tested by fire and various trials. So the question I ask is how will you respond? How have you responded in the trials that you've already faced? How are you responding now in the trials that you're facing? And how will you respond and the trials that we'll face in the future. And I hope it's like this, which is my third point. I hope we have an inexpressible joy. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my friends. <laughs> like, that's countercultural. No wonder people think we're crazy. When we face trials, when we face persecution, when we face suffering, we respond in inexpressible joy. Verse 7 through 9, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in what? In praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though we have not seen him, you love him. Though now... Seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with the inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. (laughs) How can we rejoice? Because of this. We're receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Amen? During persecution and suffering, when it, when it feels like we're exiled, when, when there's relational tension in our lives, when it feels like we're strangers in a foreign land, when it feels like we don't belong, we should have inexpressible joy. Where's your joy? Where's your joy? Why? Because we've been chosen. <laughs> Why do you have inexpressible joy? Because you've been chosen. You've been saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Just pause there for a second. Think of anything you're going through right now 
and just say, I can rejoice because of this. God chose you. I mean, let that sink in for a second. Did any of us deserve to be chosen? No, absolutely not. Rejoice in the fact that you've been chosen. Rejoice in the fact that as you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and put your hope and your faith in him, he saved you. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of salvation. He is the one that's imputed his righteousness to you. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that we're citizens of a different kingdom. This is our temporary home. We have an eternal home waiting for us. Rejoice. Rejoice. And when we truly understand that, we can do nothing but rejoice. Honestly. Honestly, when that really sinks in for us who have put our faith in Christ, you can do nothing but rejoice. Do you guys believe that? Heaven is our home. So in the midst of suffering, I just want to encourage you now. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, whatever it is, things are going to be difficult again in your life. I promise you that. Regardless of the circumstances, when our mind is foggy because of pain and, and hopelessness, in the midst of just merely suffering here on earth, we have to think of heaven. We do. We have to think of heaven. We have to think of a final destination that is different than this. I read a story about a woman named Florence Chadwick. Have you ever heard of Florence Chadwick? Let me read a little bit of the story to you. In 1952, Florence Chadwick tried to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California. You guys familiar with Catalina? For 15 hours... I don't know how people can swim that long. I can't swim for 15 seconds. For 15 hours, she endured choppy waters, possible shark attacks, and extreme fatigue. Then a thick fog set in, and she gave up. Two months later, she tried again. This time, though it was foggy again, she made it. When asked what made the difference, she said, the first time, all I could see was the fog. The second time, I kept a mental image of the shoreline in my mind while I swam. I want you to keep a mental image of a shoreline that waits for us in heaven. Through the fogginess of everything going on, change your mindset. A mental image of the heavenly shores that await await us. And we should rejoice in that. The fact that Jesus, our living hope, has provided a way for our souls to be saved. Suffering we face here is only temporary. We'll eventually arrive on heaven's shores. That is our final destination for those of us who are saved. It's our final destination for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and persevered through difficult times. But I have some unfortunate news. If you're sitting here today and you have not repented of your sins, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. Where's your hope? Where's your joy? What awaits you? Because it's not heaven's shores. For those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's torment and pain that waits for you. It's not the shores of heaven. It's torment and pain for all of eternity. So these trials 
and suffering that you're facing here, you will face for all of eternity, but to an extreme that you can never imagine. Unfortunately, that's what awaits you. The trials, pain, and suffering we face here on earth are nothing compared to the torment, pain, and eternal separation from God that you will face for all of eternity. See, hell is just as real as heaven. We can't preach heaven without preaching hell. And there's something that awaits us, these eternal shores of heaven, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's something that awaits people who haven't. Eternal separation from God and torment forever. There's good news. Can't land on the bad news. Did you just think I was going to drop the mic and walk out? My flight isn't till two, guys. There's good news. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's like, come on, give me the good news. By his life, by his death, by his resurrection, he's given us what? A living hope. <laughs> A living hope of eternal shores. Eternity spent with him. And we can rejoice in that. He's provided a way for us. He's made a way for us to be saved from that eternal torment and pain and suffering and eternal separation from God. He has made a way for us. And all we need to do is put our faith in him, believe in him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And a different kind of shore waits for you. I just want to encourage you now. If that's you, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe that. You will face trials here on earth differently than you're facing them now. I promise you that. Because the living God will come and dwell within you. He will change your perspective on your life. Put your faith in him, believe in him, and let heaven's shores await you. When trials come, and they will, back to us as believers, when trials come, they will. We want to be a people that persevere. We want to be a people that are able to persevere in our faith together. And like I mentioned, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, cling to him. He waits on the shore. The rock of ages waits on the shores of heaven, waiting for us to come home. He's waiting for us, beckoning us home. And as we pass through our temporary home here on earth, facing trials and suffering and whatever it is, we have a living hope. We have a secure faith. And let's continue to persevere with an inexpressible joy. Amen? Amen. Amen.